This, 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 this is mythical. I can confidently leave my cards at home because I have my iPhone, from grabbing my morning matcha to catching a ride to the office. Or from picking up lunch with friends to picking up the tab at happy hour, I simply tap with Apple Pay. Easily add your cards in the wallet app and you're ready. Just double click the side button, smile for face ID and tap to pay. It's as easy as looking in the mirror. With each tap, your card number and your purchases stay secured. Pay the Apple way with your compatible device anywhere contactless payment is accepted. Ear Biscuits is supported by AC Pro. It's blazing hot outside. You get into your car and turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows out hot air. The issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with an AC Pro. Apartments.com has more rental listings than anywhere else. So finding the perfect place is easier than ever and so is finally moving in together, just the two of you. It's a big step. Lots of new responsibilities, lots of adjustments. Most likely they'll wake you up at odd hours to go to the bathroom. And you'll most definitely find yourself in trouble coming home late for dinner. They may even unroll all your toilet paper next time. It's just what happens when you two find a new place together. But you're not doing it because you feel like it. No, you're doing it because you love them, because they're family. And that's why Apartments.com has more pet-friendly rental listings on the internet. Did you know that's what we were talking about? Yes. Pets. So that you and your furry family can find the perfect new place together. Apartments.com, the place to find a pet-friendly place. Ear Biscuits is supported by DoorDash. I'm keeping less alcoholic beverages in my house um, lately. I'm kind of on that swing of the pendulum. Okay. But I will say, there's times when when you wanna crack open an adult beverage. Yes, it happens. Sometimes amongst friends, sometimes alone. <laughs> I don't, I, I don't I, wanna get into the details. I recommend with friends. If you're looking to celebrate with some special drinks, Here's to alcohol deliveries with DoorDash. Whether you're hosting, sending a congratulatory gift, or just staying in to chill with a cold one, DoorDash is an easy call. The alcohol selection on DoorDash is top shelf. With thousands of stores all over the country, you're sure to find what you're looking for and more. They have it all, beer, wine, mixers, and for those that don't drink, mocktails and more can be delivered straight to your door. Save up to 25% off up to a $15 value when you spend $35 or more with code EAR. So whether you're grabbing drinks for an event or staying in for the night, DoorDash is here to help you have a great evening, any evening. Terms apply, must be 21 or older to order alcohol, drink responsibly, delivery and promotions available only in select markets. Ear Biscuits is supported by The Farmer's Dog. Dogs will eat basically anything you put in front of them. And if you're Barbara, you will like <laughs> seek it out off of tables, counters. That, that woman is crazy, <laughs> uh, that woman being my dog. Uh, so it's important to be putting the right kind of food in their bowls. Right, and when you care about your dogs as much as we care about ours, you know, a thoughtful approach to what goes in those bowls makes sense. Yes, the farmer's dog is real, fresh, healthy food with whole meat and veggies gently cooked in human-grade kitchens to preserve their nutritional value. 
Just tell them about your dog and they'll deliver personalized vet developed recipes for as little as $2 a day. The meals arrive pre-portioned and in ready to serve packs delivered on your schedule. Millions of meals have been ordered across the country. We've been partnering with the Farmer's Dog for a few years now and they really are as good as they say. It really has never been easier to invest in your dog's health with fresh food. Get 50% off your first box of fresh healthy food at thefarmersdog.com slash ear. Welcome to Ear Biscuits, I'm Link. And I'm Rhett. This week at the round table of dim lighting, we're gonna do the Q&A that we said that we didn't know if we wanted to do. <laughs> That's right, the Lost Years series. Um, all along the way, we prompted you guys to use hashtag Ear Biscuits and let us know how you were processing and if particular questions arose, uh, let us know. And I think, I don't think we said if concerns arose, let <laughs> us know, but I guess that happened too. Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> we, what we talked about last week was uh, how we're processing this whole thing and how we have a tendency, I think maybe, maybe me more than Link, have a tendency to, once I start looking at questions and thinking about what people are saying and asking, like I start wanting to defend myself and to justify myself, especially if I see that I'm kind of being misunderstood or misrepresented, but I am becoming a healthier person as I get older and I am learning more what is just me and my ego uh, and so we decided to, instead of getting into answering questions last week, to kind of just get into our process. But also, you know, what we, t we talked about was we don't want this podcast to become a place where we just kind of spout off our opinions when it comes to things that we're ultimately not qualified to talk about. And so, because you can very quickly get into this place where two guys who are basic basically have been making a living on YouTube for over a decade are sitting around and trying to tell you their particular apologetic giving persuasive arguments for what for what beliefs you should adopt is right. not something that we're going to do because there's a lot of people out there who have dedicated their lives to studying some of the things that we talked about and they're experts in their field and there's so many books that have been written uh, articles that have been written about all the things that we talked about. So it is up to you to go and do your own research, come to your own conclusions. Um, but I do think that there were a lot of questions that were asked just from a very curious place. Like we told long stories about our stories and our faith journeys and we condensed them down into less than two hours. We left a lot of details out we left a lot of people wondering about different parts of the process, wondering about how we think about particular things now. And I've seen a lot of questions kind of grouped together. Mm -hmm. So I thought, and also I think these questions have also been coming from the, the Christians that we stay in contact with in our own lives, um, which is one question that we got. You guys, are you guys still friends with, yes, we're still friends with lots of Christians and we've got really close lifelong friends who are still uh, you know, presidents of seminaries and and uh, Old Testament professors and uh, you know pastors, and so we've got a lot of people who um, can challenge a lot of the things that we said, and we're in conversation. So 
Um, but I think a lot of those questions come from a curious place and so we want to honor your questions, honor your curiosity, and just kind of give our personal perspective. This isn't designed to be like, this is what you should think, this isn't prescriptive, this is just to kind of fill in the gap of your curiosity if you if you have it. Yeah, so you, you've, you've grouped together some questions which you're gonna tee up. I kinda know some of these but not all of them but um, yeah, for me, you know, our, our stories are so different that they engendered a different flavor of response. And when there's, uh, when you're talking about, when your story talks so much about the issues it in, that it did, that it invites people to engage on this apologetics level, on this um, reasons for believing certain things level, um, whereas, you know, I'm not getting as much as that, so <laughs> I'm, I'm. Uh, well, I think I'm. I think I'm. I think I'm grateful because I didn't want you, that. Well, I, I, I decidedly. You shouldn't didn't. feel bad. You seem like you. You so it seemed like you almost felt bad about not getting. Uh, I, more. Of a I told my story in the way that I told it, piggybacking off of your story because it it drives it would drive me nuts to have the responses that are directly addressed to your story. Like well, I, it would just, I, it, that was not a healthy environment and so I'm glad that the way that I told my story, even though a lot of what you experienced, again, I was there for it and we discussed it and I was the sounding board and I didn't shut any of that down. Yeah, well and I stand by what I said when you told your story which is I think that your story uh, is ultimately more relatable to more people than mine is but People who think and maybe we'll come back to what the, what the differences in response and the magnitude of response is right. what that means. All, all I'll say right now is that people who think like me uh, are also behave like me, which is they talk more about this particular type yeah. of thing. They make YouTube. Channels they make about podcasts it. and YouTube channels. They about set up it. events where they debate about it. Right, and so and that ain't me. Yeah, and that's how I am. Yeah, and if I was still in the faith. I would be right there alongside them. So if I was like that, we'd have a totally different podcast <laughs> and a totally different uh, online persona, I guess, at this point. But so I will say before you get into those questions that um, it's I, I a lot of the main thing that people responded to my story was like the, the stories that I told, and particularly the story about like you leaving me on the side of the road. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, if you're more interested in the story aspect of things, uh, once we get through some of these other questions, we we'll come back that. to that because people are interested in yeah. your point of view on that particular day. Because I didn't say, anything. I didn't say anything. Right. Uh, and I will say if, I mean now we're six and a half minutes in, but uh, if you just if you happen to be someone who's just checking out your biscuits for the first time um, and you got to this point and you're not I think they've overly confused. they missed something. Yeah, we did a whole series. First of all, this podcast is just two buddies who've known each other forever, just trying to figure out life together, being friends and talking about the process and things that we're interested in. And one of the things that we decided to do uh, over a month ago is to kind of tell our full stories of our evangelical Christian backgrounds, how that got us to where we're at in our careers. It played an integral role in what we call the lost years, and we called them the lost years because they were literally never talked about until we talked about them on the podcast. I find it hard to believe this is the first episode anyone's listened to. But somebody might be. And you know what? Those were long episodes, just skip them. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then we no, told I would our, love for you to listen to. We them. told our individual deconstruction stories, and uh, and we asked you to participate in asking some questions. And now we're going to finally. Well, we did another podcast where we talked about how we didn't feel how we didn't know what we were going to do by answering questions. But now we're going to answer some questions. Okay. Uh, one of the things, again, I'm not, I'm not gonna credit anybody, maybe some of these later questions, but I, again, this was, me a, the this was a group. So these are all from Link. Okay, yeah. Now these are from multiple people. So you asked yourself, what if I'm wrong? I said that during uh, my story, there was a point at which when I was a Christian and I had experienced a bunch of doubts, I said, what if I'm wrong? Mm-hmm. Do you ask yourself that question now? What if you're wrong now? That's yeah, the question. Because it, it seems like, I mean, our our belief on the inside, it was was like it was like a hedging your bets, Occam's razor kind of. What if you're wrong? It's like worst case, you know, I'm worst case on the outside. You, you're risking eternal punishment, separation from God. Right, I think you're talking about Pascal's wager. Not, Pascal's wager, not Occam's razor. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I mean. Occam razor. Occam razor. I can't even say it now. It's the is the simplest solution. The simplest is, solution. Is yeah. But Pascal's wager is essentially right. You know, Blaise Pascal, famous mathematician and thinker from uh, a long time ago, who was a Christian, basically said, um, "What do I have to lose by living a Christian life? You know, because I get to. You have a lot to gain. You have a lot to gain. You have a lot to lose life. by by going to the dark side. Uh, which I'm going to talk a little bit about hell in a second, related to Pascal's wager and why I don't find it compelling. Uh, but yeah, but the question: What if you're wrong? What about Occam's razor, though? Are you going to talk Occam's about Occam's razor? That? I shave with it every day. That's I, sh- I shave underneath my beard with Occam's razor. Well, how, what's your response? Uh, Yes, I ask myself if I'm wrong. <laughs> I, I I hope I never stop doing it. Like I like I said at the end of the the podcast when I told my story, it's like if anything, I have demonstrated a a willingness to change my mind, right? To sort of extricate myself from something that is still very much a part of the way I think and the way that I behave was my entire worldview and my entire orienting principle in life, and I moved away from it. In spite of wanting to not want to, st- I didn't want to stop believing it, and so yeah, I continue to ask myself that question. I hope I, I hope I never stop asking myself the question: What if I'm wrong? I will say that the it's the flavor of the question has changed a little bit because I no longer have real definitive ideas about things that I find hard to be definitive about. Like I don't know what I think about the afterlife. I don't. I have some guesses, but I don't have any convictions about the afterlife. I don't have any convictions about the supernatural reality of the world. And so therefore, yeah. what when I had certainty about those things and I knew that I was gonna go to heaven and that people who ultimately disagreed with me were gonna go to hell, um, what if I'm wrong felt different. Absolutely, I feel, I feel now like, I don't have to be right. I felt like yeah. I had to be right before. And I, you know, if I was if I didn't feel confident about a certain aspect of my rightness, I had to bolster that. I had to read a little something about it. You know, I think that it was a, if if you had a doubt about the resurrection of Jesus, then you would google 
evidence for the resurrection. And it will come in droves. And what I don't, you know, it took a long time for me to get to a point where I'm like, I'm actually gonna Google evidence against the resurrection, just to, just to check it out, you know? Um, but I guess since the shoe's on the other foot, I should ask us, well now are we Googling things like evidence for the resurrection? And I think that's a, a later question you have, so we can yeah, come yeah, back yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. We can, let's come back to it. Keep going. This is this is this is almost fun. Um, <laughs> a related question that kind of comes on the heels of "What if you're wrong?" is, "What about hell? Do you not live in fear that what like if you if you were right if in the first you know three quarters of your life mm -hmm. you were right, then this version of you who is wrong is going to hell." And not only are you going to hell, but you're leading your family, your f your best friend, <laughs> mm -hmm. and uh, anyone who's listening to your podcast. Potentially, you're leading your fans. You're, man. you're leading them what to about hell. The, what about the impressionable fans? And 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 okay. So the first part of the per, question but is but what? personal. Are, are you scared of hell? Okay. Okay. Are you scared of hell? Uh, my answer to this is that when I was a Christian. I was not scared of all the other potential outcomes as presented by all the other religions, right? So according to some conservative flavors of Islam, I would have been considered an infidel and probably wouldn't have gotten into paradise. There is, the Muslim concept of hell is a little bit different in how you, how you qualify for it, but whatever, there are some people who, who believe a certain thing in that faith who would have said that I was going to hell. There were some, pe there were some people who believe uh, in reincarnation and might believe that based on my actions, I was gonna come back a grasshopper. What, what, whatever the particular, and I'm not trying to make light of that, I'm just saying that that could be somebody's idea. I didn't lose any sleep about those potential outcomes when I was a Christian because as a Christian, I had a very long list of people's beliefs about the afterlife that I was, that I didn't believe. I wasn't scared of their hell because I didn't believe in it. It's a very long list if you really tried to make it. Right, so the only thing I've done is I've added the Christian hell to that list of things that I don't believe in. And so it becomes, and now it's not as easy as a mental exercise as I just made it seem, because when you believe in it for so long, and that's what you thought when you were in your formative years, your adolescent years, it's a little bit more difficult to disregard, but I would say that sort of the the short answer is I don't lose any sleep about it for the same reason that you as a Christian don't lose sleep about going to someone else's hell. And I didn't lose sleep about hell when I believed I had escaped it. Um, and I, I think it was just something that I did not like to think about. Like, I mean, y you might think that with all the, with the experience that I described, and like the guilt and the pressure that I placed on myself within that belief system, you might think that there was a direct connection to hell. Like th there's a lot of people who with a similar makeup as me would then take the next step to like, well I gotta, am I really saved? I gotta, I gotta make sure I'm saved every day. Like I gotta, I gotta pray that sinner's prayer. What Jesse was told, my wife Jesse, who went to a very conservative Christian private school, was told when she was a kid, 
and it, and of course she struggles with scrupulosity, the scrupulosity version of OCD. So this is especially troublesome for her. They said, which is the re a, a religiously applied version of OCD. Yeah, if you're ninety nine percent sure that you're saved. You're a hundred percent lost. <laughs> you're telling. Yeah, I didn't. You're telling children. You're telling that children scary. that they have to be assured of their salvation. Well, we, so I wasn't told that, and you were there all along. So we weren't told that. No, no, no. So, I wasn't. You know, I I never interacted with hell that way. It wasn't something that I was constantly faced with. It wasn't like it was constantly talked about. We're actually talking about it a lot, and it might give the false impression that it was shoved down our throats constantly. But well, it's not a pleasant thing to think about. Yeah. So, but instead, we just didn't think about it, and then because it's not pleasant, and yeah. the more you think about it, I think it it gets less pleasant, if not for you, f for the people on the outside. Yeah. And so it's it's a place I never wanted to go. Um, I have wanted to go to one of those. I never in the I never went to one of these and where they scale the hell out of you like a a Christian haunted house yeah that's like a hell house never did on that Halloween one. you would have loved Unf it. unfortunately I you would have come out giddy a part of a denomination that did that kind of you would have come out satanic we just did a fall festival because we didn't believe in Halloween but we didn't do hell houses and I feel like it was a missed opportunity um, but this is also the reason why I don't find Pascal's wager. The same, I apply the same logic to my response to Pascal's wager as I do to this, and that is you can take Pascal's wager and you can use that to argue for any faith. You know what I'm saying? It's like. Because it, you, they present it as such a value, prop, any faith that presents a value proposition. That and a then, consequence for not following it. So then if you don't, you can't forget about that value. It's like, well if I don't, I, I have so much to gain here. It's not just what you have to lose. Well, what I'm saying is that you, uh, you, from a Muslim perspective, you could also have Pascal's wager, and you could argue that against a Christian. You can take, and you can start with any particular religious perspective, and say, "This is what you have to gain, and this is what you have to lose," and then you can argue from that standpoint. So it doesn't actually, it's just not. It's it's only compelling to someone who's trying to hold on to Christian belief, but it's not very compelling to someone who doesn't have Christian belief. Does is that make it, sense? And isn't, yes, isn't there also a, f a factor in that that's like, you're you're not just mentally ass assenting to certain beliefs, but you have to have like a heart connection right. to it. What, that what, you, yeah. you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, yeah, what kind, kind of, of relationship with God you, is that, that it's just based on a fear of hell or, but well, maybe I'm gonna stay. I'm gonna stick around just in case you guys are right. Like that doesn't feel like a vibrant relationship with God. It just kind of feels like a mental exercise. The second half of this this question or questions that you've grouped together when you talk about hell is what you. What about speaking out? What if speaking out has led other people into eternal punishment? But if you're wrong about this, right? Wasn't that the second half of the question? You added that, but I have I have seen that. Like, what about the fans and the the friends? Isn't that the question? That's not the question that I have written. That's the question that you asked. Okay. I well I've. So I've, do, you, I've, do you have an answer? I've seen that one. I feel like we answered it at the towards the end of last week. I mean, when I when I read the exchange between two mythical beasts, and it was, hey, we're just we're presenting our perspective but everyone has to make their own decision. 
I, I just feel like our audience is can understand that. And I think even if, I, I know that a lot of people were shaken up. But again, I don't think, it 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 troubles me that I I just I just feel like in I get nervous when I make generalizations about the church, but I do feel like it's a little. They err on the side of like okay, let's not fully engage in our doubts. Let's not have this. You know, it just didn't feel like something that you could talk about freely. It was like, let's have I got to have a special meeting with my pastor, and I don't know how I'm going to bring this up, and I don't know how he's going to respond. It's like because it's. It feels like there's so much at stake. It's not, there's not this open dialogue where it's like, you really can, it's gonna be normal to have doubts and to engage in that. I just don't feel like that was the environment, but I feel like that's the environment that I try to create with my kids. It's like, listen, don't think that your daddy knows everything, you know? Yeah. And like you said before, it's more about they learn so much more from our actions than they do from what we say that I think that they know that I don't know everything, but at least I'm, uh, you know, I try to be sorry, yeah. <laughs> at just as one example. Uh, I try to seek forgiveness from them for right. things like that. So what's my point? I think if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna open up my kids to that level of honest dialogue with wherever they're at, I'm comfortable doing that with our audience and and them being able to make decisions, responsible decisions for themselves and not just take what we believe hook, line, and sinker for themselves. Yeah. So I, so I, don't, I, I just cannot, I, I cannot put that burden on my back and I'm yeah. not gonna do it. Okay, I don't disagree with anything that you just said, but playing devil's advocate, if I were still a Christian who believed that, you know, Christianity holds the ultimate truth to man's salvation, then I would believe that distorting that truth or misleading people would be a horrible thing to do. And true, everyone needs to make their own decision, but you also have a huge platform and you got impressionable kids listening to you and you're shaking up their situation. What if you're wrong? I, I don't, so I don't disagree with what you're saying. They need to make their own decision, but you have influence when you speak. Again, the but the my issue with this particular question. I, well, I hope that was my influence. Was that it opened questions? I get that. And you're, I mean, you're not wrong, but I'm saying the reason that even what I just said, playing devil's advocate, is not compelling to me, is the same reason that Pascal's wager is not compelling to me, or the same reason that I don't fear hell, and that is because I don't. You know, the hell that you're saying that I might be sending people to, I don't believe in that hell. You believe in that hell, and so. I don't think that that's what I'm doing. Of course, if I thought that that's what I was doing, or if I thought that there was a reasonable right. chance that that's what I was doing, I wouldn't do it. Right. But I don't believe that. So I actually think that by getting people to a ask those questions and to kind of explore the foundations of their faith, I think that ultimately just as a species, questioning that and getting closer to the truth is going to ultimately serve everyone's best interest. I'm not because I'm not suggesting something that you should replace your faith with. I'm figuring all that out in my own life, but I'm just saying that hey, you know, if this isn't this isn't going to take us to the next phase in our human evolution, then we got to figure out what is, and we don't need to try to bring along some. We don't need to try to bring bring along something that's actually not going to serve us 
our species. Ear Biscuits is supported by Superfeet. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain? Well, guess what? Your feet don't have to hurt. When you add the signature orthotic shape of Superfeet insoles to your shoes, you give your feet comfort and support where they need it most, helping redistribute forces to reduce stress and strain on your entire body, not just your feet. Superfeet insoles are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. Since 1977, Superfeet has helped millions of people worldwide experience the life-changing magic of comfy, pain-free feet. Superfeet insoles upgrade the fit, feel, and function of your footwear to help you feel your best. The signature orthotic shape of Superfeet gives your feet the right type of support where you need it most. Physicians not only recommend Superfeet to their patients, they wear Superfeet insoles in their own shoes. Superfeet is the number one doctor worn and recommended insole. Superfeet has thousands of five-star reviews and is the insole of choice for top athletes on the field, on the ice, and on the slopes, and everywhere in between. Superfeet has a wide range of insoles for every activity, every shoe, and every foot. From cushioned and flexible to firm and supportive, you can dial in your fit by taking their quick online quiz. We took the quiz, we've got our, mm -hmm. our insoles coming, they're on their way. You just answer a few short questions and Superfeet will recommend the best insole choice for you. Visit superfeet.com and enter the promo code EAR at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. 
At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search based on the qualities that are most important to you. Then you can book a free 15-minute consultation call with any therapist you're interested in seeing. So you can get a feel for whether they're the right fit before you commit to a full-length session. Alma also makes it easy for mental health care providers to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of therapists in their directory accept insurance for sessions. So you can find care that's affordable without stressing about the paperwork. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com therapy60 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com therapy60. Okay. Now again, you haven't suffered from this as much as I have, and I'm using the term suffered loosely. Um, but because my story was very much my intellectual journey and I questioned some foundational things about the Christian faith, of course, people who know and care about these things have suggested many, 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 many resources uh, for me to check out. Um, and I wanna talk about. I wanna hear a book report. Uh, let's see, how do I wanna get in this? Because people have suggested websites, articles, YouTube videos, books, and all by people who are probably, definitely many of them, but probably most of them are smarter than me. Definitely most of them are more well studied than me. They haven't been making YouTube videos almost exclusively for a decade. They've you know, they've been studying these things. And so the people are pointing to me, pointing me to all these different resources. Now, I'm not then taking all the resources and staying up every night and just going through all the information and sort of reading everything that everyone is sending to me deeply. And I have a few reasons for that. Um, the first is, is that with a few exceptions, the general arguments that uh, people are kind of pointing me to and the resources, whether I've looked at those things specifically before or things very much like them, I kind of just want to, and this is a little bit of a defense of my process, which I said I didn't wanna do, but I just feel like I have to say it. You know, I didn't come to any of my conclusions lightly, right? As I said earlier, I, I wasn't trying to get myself out of the faith. Leaving the faith was the scariest possible proposition for me, right? There was so much there for me. And it was a very slow process over like 10 to 15, probably 15 years. Um, and it was based on looking a lot at a lot of these types of resources on both sides. I know I kind of listed out some resources when I did my story and people had a lot to say about what that indicated. Those weren't, that wasn't it. That wasn't the only thing I looked at. That was just a small sampling of some things that I found compelling, but I don't remember everything that I looked at, but I didn't come to any of those conclusions lightly. So it isn't like, oh, have you been to this website? Because they've got all the answers that you're looking for. It's like, I probably have seen those answers and processed those answers. And in the end, after a layman's investigation over the course of 15 years, came to the conclusion that I, I just didn't find those things compelling, right? So that I'm not super like chomping at the bit to get into them. But I wanna talk a little more personally about why 
I have a kind of an issue with the whole enterprise of like apologetics and these kinds of resources. It seems to me that one of the things that people are doing is they're saying, hey, Rhett, here's a really smart person who knows a whole lot more about this than you do and they've got a really compelling book about it. Check it out. So there's a tendency, as I talked about in my story, to find a smart person, right? Find a smart person who believes what you believe and use that as justification that it's cool and reasonable to believe what you believe. And so you kind of get into this appealing to smart people game. And I don't know how to say this. I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to be as charitable as possible. But I don't think that this is a really fruitful game for uh, certain kinds of Christians to play. Because when you get, depending on the subject, once you get into the, hey, here's a smart person who believes what I believe game, you're gonna find pretty quickly that you're gonna get outnumbered by the smart people on the other side of that issue that you're trying to get people to see. Take evolution as an example, right? the vast majority of biologists, the vast majority of people who have given their lives to studying you know, biology believe in common ancestry. So when you find a really smart scientist who doesn't believe in it and be like, hey, it's like, well, I can find 100 smart scientists who disagree with him. So playing that game kind of it defeats itself after a while, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I see it done so often and I also did it. But I think that there's very few issues that I talked about in my journey, whether you're talking about archeology span or whether you're talking about New Testament scholarship, where that wouldn't be the case. Now, interestingly, the closer and closer you get to Jesus, you know, when you get into like New Testament scholarship, a lot of people who have devoted their lives to the study of the New Testament there's a lot, you have to be a certain kind of person to get to that point in the first place, so the proportion of people who disagree about that is a little bit different than say evolutionary biology. Does that make sense? Definitely. Um, but you do have plenty of people who got into it and dug into it very deeply who came out on the other side and said, oh, I got into this because of my love for and interest in Jesus, and then when I started seeing the realities, I actually was very troubled and moved away. A lot of people say, Go to, go to seminary, there's one of two options, either you're gonna become a deeper believer, you're gonna, you know, your faith is gonna deepen or you're gonna leave it. Mm -hmm. It's not gonna stay the same. When, th when you talk about uh, Christian apologetics in general, it's something I thought about recently because I have been you know, watching a lot of these podcasts and um, going, to, I, I'm not, I, I still, I love to, I'm kinda genu you know, genuinely interested in this stuff, so out of my own interest, I, I still read these articles and look at these things um, to some degree. Um, but one of the things that's kinda struck me about just the enterprise of Christian apologetics is that the whole idea is that you can use basically logic and reason to make a defense of the Christian faith to make it seem reasonable and logical. But it feels like, you know, and take the take the uh, the issue of the resurrection, which is kind of the linchpin of the whole thing, right? So there's plenty of people who have written books, and I've read them, uh, some of them, about why 
the, the basically the best explanation of the events around Jesus' resurrection is that he actually bodily raised from the dead. It explains the empty tomb, and explains the start of the early church, yada, 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 right? I've heard the arguments. But I find it interesting that the best defense of the resurrection, which is a miraculous, unbelievable, unreasonable, illogical event, is to use logic and reason to try to make it seem like it actually happened. To me, the resurrection is the ultimate test of faith. It is saying, I'm gonna believe something that is unbelievable. Isn't that what makes it a beautiful thing to believe from the standpoint of faith? But if it really happened, everything around, you could have logical, historical, philosophical, cultural convert analysis of it. Right, but I feel like all the historical, logical analysis of it from the standpoint of someone who's trying to argue the resurrection, I think they're very much overstating their case. Because I, I don't, I, I think that it's like, again, I told you I knew somebody who wrote a term paper explaining why the resurrection happened, and I feel like they definitely, there's some logical leaps in there, and there was they're justifying something that it's like, okay, it could have happened. I, the best you can get to is it could have happened. If you, if you believe that resurrection is possible, it is possible that Jesus resurrected. And you, but what I'm saying is that, to me, it feels like you take the magic and the beauty out of something, and I'm just using the resurrection as an example, but what I'm saying is that post-enlightenment, all this very super reductionist thinking that people are applying to the faith, to God and his action in the world, and people's relationship with him, to me, the reductionism takes the faith and the supernatural, we're not talking about reasonable things, we're talking about God, this external personal force moving into the physical world and doing things that defy all logic and reason. So when you start trying to put your logic and re put God into the reasonable and logical box, you're kinda taking away some of his attributes, in my mind, which leads me to, I personally think the most Intellectual, def intellectually defensible Christian position is something called biblical presuppositionalism, right? Which is basically you just start with the pre presupposition that the Bible is true and that everything flows from that. Now, do I find that compelling? No, do I subscribe to that? No, but it, I can understand it and I find that the people who kind of start with this presuppositionalist viewpoint have a lot less trouble getting into this tit for tat logic and reason argument back and forth because it's just like, I don't have to deal with your arguments because it's, I just accept it as true. I just feel like the enterprise of Christian apologetics for a lot of people, if you go into it with an open mind and an open heart and you kinda say, I'm gonna follow wherever the, wherever the truth leads, I think one of the reasons that so many people like me, when they take on that particular uh, when they go down that path, they end up where I'm at is, be, is exactly what I said. It's because you're taking and you're applying logic to it and if you're gonna do that, you're gonna end up in a logical and reasonable place, which I don't believe is a place of faith. Does that make sense? Yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm not gonna add anything to it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, okay, well, I didn't wanna spend too much time talking, again, I don't, I like talking about that stuff, but I don't want it. I don't want it to be the, our podcast. So let's talk about some 
more personal things. Let's okay. get back to as personal as we possibly can. Um, I'm, and to make this even more personal, I'm gonna say that this question came from, uh, should I say the name? Just a, a, a man named Daniel. A man named Daniel. I almost said Daniel. <laughs> no. My character's name. Daniel. Um, he likes to have fun. What are your takes on miracles such as healings and unexpected blessings? Hmm. Uh, in another question, I don't know if this is, I think I just grabbed this from someone else. Have you ever had a supernatural experience? And if so, how would such an experience fit into your worldview? Tell me. Okay. Um, Have we ever had a. Lots of people ask this question. Supernatural experience. How do you, because a lot of people said, God moved in my life in, in an undeniable supernatural way. And therefore, regardless of what you're going to say about, you know, the foundation of the faith. It's so real and so personal, and I've seen with my own eyes, or I've experienced something that is undeniably supernatural, and God's movement in my life, and therefore I'll never depart from it. How do you relate to that? Um, oh, you were asking me. <laughs> I thought you were just restating the question in general. <clears throat> well, I was, I was, I didn't really hear you restating the question because I was thinking of if, if I've ever experienced something miraculous. I, I, I don't, I don't remember ever experiencing anything miraculous. I think in our particular church, it was like we we weren't taught to we weren't taught to expect miracles. It wasn't a part of the there weren't healings associated with like our church services. That wasn't the that wasn't the denomination we came from. Yeah, we prescribed so, to something you might call it uh, dispensationalism, which is the idea that miraculous activity by the Holy Spirit is coincides with a dispensation, right? So a dispensation, like, so when, obviously there's all kinds of miracles in the Bible because A, Jesus is doing them, so you've got God in the flesh there doing miracles, and then you've got all these early church miracles when the Holy Spirit is basically coming on people at Pentecost and then a few years after. But God doesn't do but that But God anymore. doesn't do that anymore because That's he doesn't need to. That's kind of, but that doesn't mean that occasionally God's gonna answer a prayer, but it'll be one of those things that's like, did this person get better from cancer because the church prayed, or was it just, it just happened, or was it the medical team? But it wasn't like somebody's gonna come in and like grow hair of a different color, or their legs are gonna get longer, they're gonna stand up from being you know, disabled from for 10 years. Like that what didn't happen in our church, but I do understand that it happens in many people's traditions. But based on that teaching, I never really looked for it. I never expected it. I've been thinking like a corollary question people have asked is like what about answered prayers, you know? Um if you want to put that like in a a near miracle or like in the miracle category, I guess, or like miracle light. <laughs> that sounds like a great uh, it beer. sounds like a well it sounds like a spread <laughs> miracle whip but i when i was thinking back my memory's fuzzy but i my my prayer life was was not that vibrant and i don't recall ever asking god for something that i didn't think he could give me didn't want to be unreasonable I didn't want to be. I didn't want to. You know, I didn't want to ask for too much. You know, that's what when you're taught how to pray, it's like you got adoration, you got confession, you got thanksgiving, and then if you haven't fallen asleep by that point, you got supplication, supplication acts. acts. And I never got. I I just I had this feeling that like 
I just never had, I didn't, I didn't wanna call God on the carpet, I don't know. It's like I didn't wanna be proven wrong. Maybe that was part of it deep down subconsciously. Um, I had a lot of, again, I don't wanna go back to the guilt thing, but like I knew that I didn't really have a great prayer life and I, I put that on me. But I don't, I don't remember ever expecting miracles or really expecting healing. You know, I, especially like after college in the church that I was involved in there, it was a, it was a, it was a different strain of Christianity. And it, you know, they started in that church. We believed that like the people who were going to be saved, like, had been chosen ahead of time which means that others were chosen actively for damnation ahead of time and there's there's biblical passages that are <laughs> that that seem lot, to say a that a lot more people believe that than you would think um but it was very and you know we 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 joked and called ourselves the frozen chosen because it wasn't it wasn't a dynamic experiential expectation it was that, pretty heady that God was it was pretty heady God wasn't going to show up and do something crazy because he didn't need to he had already he'd been there and done that either believe it or don't right you know but don't don't demand it who, who are you to demand that God do something so like this was the this was the environment that I operated in and I don't really recall experiencing a miracle one of my mom's friends who was like she was she was one of those what I felt like more of the spiritual like in in touch with things that she that are ineffable, and she was also a Christian. She said I had this premonition. It was kind of like a dream, but it was more of a vision that your son. She was talking to my mom. Link was in front of this huge crowd in a stadium, and he was it was like he was Billy Graham, and he was like preaching the gospel. Hmm. And I was in high school when she told me this. My mom relayed it, and I was like, okay. Thanks for that pressure. <laughs> no, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe she saw us performing in a venue, and she didn't realize that we were just singing a dumb song about. Oh, so I was there. You were not there. Okay. Well, it sounds like a solo act to me. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest with you, that hasn't happened. I mean, that that's a vision. That's not a miracle. But well, I I have what um, I would have called my miracles. I, I'm going to tell my stories. Okay. Right now. All right. Um, and then I'm gonna tell you my perspective on them. Um, first miracle, 1998, I'm in New York City, working with Campus Crusade for Christ. Summer in the City is what we called it, where me and, I don't know, 30, 40 other college students worked with the churches in the inner city to do, basically you were with a different church every single week and, um, doing all, whatever outreach and stuff they were organizing. And uh, interestingly, one of the things that I was struggling with at the time, this is one of the, my first sort of, I don't remember exactly where I learned it, but when I started learning more about how the New Testament came together, mm -hmm. specifically you know, the way the canon was decided and the, the councils of these church fathers getting together, quite some time after the the writing of the Bible to then kind of determine what the books of the Bible would be. Yeah, let's ex not, let's ex not, exclude let's not some, worry about that book of Thomas. Exclude some of those those books. And this was, 
this was troublesome, right? For someone who had never really thought about this and was just like, oh, the Bible is God's word. So you kind of just imagine that it was. It was. Somebody just, you know, like I know, I think the, the, the tradition of the Quran is that God basically filled Muhammad and then he wrote it. I, I, I'm, I'm ignorant about that. But I think it has a little bit in, in like the tradition of the Book of Mormon I think is that God filled, the Holy Spirit kind of came upon Joseph Smith and got him to write it. Like that kind of feels like a good thing to kind of fall back on. Like it feels a little tighter <laughs> you know, from a scripture standpoint versus like, well, some people wrote some books. We don't know, know exactly what their intentions were and then. But so, get to the miracle, man. So, I, I, so you were doubting. Right, so I started thinking about this and, and had some doubts about it and I specifically was arguing with a Muslim student on some college campus in New York, I can't remember which one it was, not arguing, but we were having a friendly discussion where I was, he started to attack the New Testament in this way basically mm -hmm. saying what I well, I was just talking to you from a Muslim perspective and basically okay. saying how the Quran is more is superior because of this. And I didn't have any answers for him because I hadn't really looked into it. So, and of course, I'm in New York, it's 1998, I don't really have access to the internet because we didn't have cell phones and there was no computer that anybody had. So I didn't really have any way to research or anything. So it just, it just kind of ate at me as I continued to do ministry throughout the summer. And then one day we went uh, square dancing because of course square dancing was what every college student student who knew which way was up was doing in the late 90s, especially in Christian groups. Boy, we square danced like rabbits. <laughs> nah. uh, I just mixed metaphors there. Um, because we couldn't have sex, we were square dancing. That That's kind of what I was getting at with the rabbits thing. Well, you couldn't grind, so you squared. Right, uh, and so we went to the Lincoln Center or something, I can't remember where to square dance and then we had to come back and of course we're using the subway system and there's no cell phone or anything so you're like using your map that you've got and we realized that the subway station that we need to get on, the subway we need to get on to get to Astoria which is where we were living had closed because it was so late but there was a stop across Central Park that we could get on but it was only gonna be open for like 10 more minutes. So we all start running across Central Park. Not the long way, the short way. It's not that hard to do. We've got just a little bit of time to get to the subway station. We get there, we go down, we, we move through the turnstile, and then we get on to the subway and I go to my seat and right at the seat that I'm about to sit down at is a sheet of paper. Okay. I pick up the sheet of paper and it's just like, a portion of a paper, like a term paper, like just typed, text, just typed, typed and text. printed out, not a professional publication. And it basically begins to explain why the New Testament is necessary. How you couldn't just stop with the book of Malachi, but that the Old Testament was calling for the fulfillment in the New Testament. And I took that sheet of paper and I said, thank you God for proving yourself to me. I'm not gonna doubt about this anymore and put it in my journal. You stole somebody's paper. Big time miracle, right? What is my perspective on that now? I told you the story the way that I've told it many times, the way I told it to groups of people when I was a Christian. You now I'm gonna tell you Okay. The rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. Mm. 
Um, because the way I told the story. Paul Harvey wrote most of the New Testament. <laughs> he did, <laughs> the Apostle Paul Harvey. <laughs> the way that I would tell that story. You li- what did you leave out? Uh, is I told it in a kind of a sensational way, right? I kind of okay. set you up with what I was doubting and then I went to this particular seat that was in the particular place that I went to and there's a sheet of paper and it addressed this thing directly. Yeah. The reality of the way that it happened. Sounds like ear biscuits. Um, well, I made a better story that way, but the reality of the way that, and that's also the way that I told myself, by the way, mm-hmm. when I would go back to that miracle time after time. But the way that uh, it actually happened Everything leading up to getting on the subway is true. And I was doubting this stuff. But when we got on the subway, there was flyers like all over the, all over on multiple seats. Like it wasn't just the seat that I was going to, it was everywhere. Okay. And when I got to it and read it, it was someone who is mentally unstable had written a bunch of sort of religiously informed gibberish. Oh, like a manifesto. And in this, and it wasn't just a sheet of paper, it was it was a few sheets of paper. And as I read it, nothing really made sense and it was like, this person seems a little bit off. Uh, but oh, but there is a line in here that says something about, and just like the book of Malachi is calling out for the book of Matthew, blah, 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 blah. So I found a sentence. I was dealing with something in my heart and it was sort of tearing me apart in a lot of ways. And then I found something that was was quite a coincidence, was quite serendipitous, and was quite unusual, and I was able to make that connection. So, and, and it really put my doubts at ease at the time. Now, looking back on that, do I think that that was orchestrated by God? Well, if I did, then I probably wouldn't be where I am right now. No, I don't. I think it was a coincidence that I then incorporated into my framework and bolster my belief with it. My second story, much easier than that, it was uh, uh, actually that same, was that the same summer? I was a camp counselor at a camp at the tri-state area near New York, yeah, and I had a bunch of inner city kids who uh, were coming out to the wilderness to be in this camp, and these kids come from broken homes, and uh, they were just wild and very difficult to contain and control. Okay. And I was in charge of them. And one night they were just going absolutely ballistic in this cabin. How old are they? What ages are we talking about? 13. Okay. Um, probably like seven or eight of them. They're going absolutely nuts and being completely disrespectful, but also like almost fighting each other. And I'm like sitting there, like, I don't know what to do. So I go outside and they're like super loud and like fighting. I go outside and I place my hand on the cabin and pray for peace and then immediately they get quiet. Wow, did you feel power leave your hand? No, Now that's the way I used to tell the story, now I'm gonna tell you the real version of the story. Paul Harvey. <laughs> the rest of the story is. I never heard that one by the way. I went I've out, heard the other one. I went out. And you only told me the first part, which tells me, like the fact that you would even, just by the way, that subway story, you only told me the first version. You didn't even tell me, like, hey man, but there were a lot of pamphlets and I think that it was like some weird manifest. You never, ever told I me ha- that. I haven't come to grips with it until more recently. So it was, but, it became, okay, go but, ahead. But the rest of this story is that I placed my hand on the cabin and I prayed and then a couple of minutes later they got quiet. It wasn't like immediate. 
if it had been, it still could have been a coincidence, but it was, you know. Did you tell that one publicly? Yeah. You did? Yeah. Because okay. it, and I didn't feel like I was being dishonest. It's just when I'm really, really honest about what happened, I'm like, okay, well, I, it's it, you can change the details a little bit and make it a little bit more sensational. Now, so, okay, now I'm not speaking for everybody, this is me. I have no doubt that people listening right now, there's somebody out there who's like, well, I got, dude, I got specific miracles that cannot be explained any other way. Here's the only, here's what I can say for myself, which is essentially what Link said. I've never experienced anything unambiguously supernatural in my life. Everything that I've experienced, I can find, it isn't difficult for me to find a reasonable explanation for it, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that it's the tradition I came from, which we didn't do miracles, and I had a couple of stories when I was doing some stuff um, with Campus Crusade that I can now see like, ah, well, I mean, it could also be a coincidence, so it's not definitively, it's not unambiguously supernatural. But the second part of the question is, what would you do if you experienced a miracle, an unambiguous miracle now, in the year 2020, thinking the way that you think? For me, if you go back about five years, eh, six years, when I was kind of making the decision to be like, I'm kind of, I'm getting out of this. I'm not gonna think this way anymore. An unambiguous miracle at that time would immediately brought me right back to uh, traditional Christian faith, the faith of my 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 teenage years, whatever, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I gotta be honest with you, if I experienced something unambiguously supernatural now, I would just be like, oh, supernatural things happen. They, oh, they, that is a that is a feature of the universe that supernatural things can happen because I'm not ruling that out, but it doesn't logically follow for me personally given the con the conclusions I've come to up to this point to then all of a sudden undo all those conclusions just because something supernatural can happen. To me, the only conclusion that I would come to is supernatural things can happen. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, for me, if some if I would have experienced a, a miracle while in the faith, then I would have picked it apart because that's what I was always taught to do because of what I already said. Um, I find it interesting that both of those stories that you told happened that summer when you were in New York, you were serving in churches that were much more what we called charismatic. Char I, I witnessed two exorcisms. You Okay, you didn't talk about, well those are miracles. What do you mean you witnessed two exorcisms? Well I didn't believe that they were actually exorcisms. Because of what we were taught. Even, but, even at the time I was like. This but, but you were in it, okay, so you didn't believe those exorcisms, but, but man I wanna hear those stories. Nothing special, no, no voice changes, no levitation. It was like run of the mill, somebody just yelling really loudly and everyone saying that they were possessed. So I mean, but did they, we're, not, we're not talking the did, exorcist. Did, here. did they calm down? Did something leave their body? Uh, yeah, they calmed down. They calmed down. Okay. I, I'll say they calmed down. That would be. That's, it was on, that's my best explanation. It was underwhelming to you. Yes, it was not believable. But you were in a more open place, and you were open to looking and claiming m your own miraculous experiences. Yeah, because I, I asked but for in, the gift of tongues that summer as well. In that environment, like you would never have asked for to speak in tongues because we were taught that like, again, that was a prior dispensation and it was basically just learning other languages. 
But right, but I but I did. I did uh, ask for the gift of tongues. Didn't happen. Did not receive it. And yeah, I I've always just again, it's the combination of what we were taught and just how my brain works. I've always been. I didn't feel like I needed that to have. My, my faith system was intact without that. So I actually I had I I didn't need it. I didn't need to believe those. I actually feel yeah, like right. now. I hope that I'm more open to miracles now. Hmm. I than I because I never have been. Um, that's what I I I just want. You know. I want again. This is what I want, and how much does that matter when it comes to what's tr- true? None. Um, but it it maybe it does because if you don't want something oh, okay all right now if you're I hear you. n- if you're not open to preach it, it preach it brother maybe you can never see the truth of it so i want to be open i don't want to be shut off to to god's activity in my life i want to cultivate my spirituality yeah i get that and again that's what that's what i've already said but i just to use this the miracles as an example I'm I'm instinctively skeptical, but I want to be more open. Yeah, um, I, I'm on the I'm I'm with you on that. That sounds good. I like that. Yeah, because why not? I don't want to I don't want to miss out on that. Um, unless it involves hell, and then I'm like I I I don't know. I don't think I do. I'm not signing up for this kitten caboodle. Okay, I think I follow. One of the things I will say is that as a Christian, and especially as a Christian in a particular denomination, which it was non-denominational, but it was essentially like Reformed Baptist or something like that. I don't know how you. But mm-hmm. um, we were really good at discounting all kinds of miracles from other traditions. Including the Catholic tradition, right? The Catholic tradition is kind of known for ongoing miracles, and they have like a whole group of people who like verify miracles that happen at certain locations, and they're kind of more into that. And our perspective on that was all bullshit. I mean, to be quite honest, is it was just bullshit. It was like it was wishful thinking, but it wasn't actually happening. And it was really like it was so so easy. To not to not consider Catholic miracles as a Protestant, it was so easy. It was like turning over in bed. Oh, easy. Yeah. Didn't even cross my mind. It was so easy. So I just find it interesting that, like, the, I never, I've never believed in ghosts. I never really de- believed in demons. We have friends now that like talk about seeing ghosts, and I'm like, well, I, 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 want, I want, I just want, I want to finish my point because okay, I, because I don't want to people to think that I'm talking crap about. Catholics in particular. I, what I'm doing is I'm just saying that. You talking crap about Catholics? Th- no, I'm saying that the perspective that I was under at the time was that that wasn't legitimate. And so, and I didn't care about whether or not they were offended, right? And so what I'm saying now is that I believe that the miracles that people, ex- my, again, I don't know, my guess is that the miracles that people experience today in the context of church or any religion are probably not actually miracles. That that's that's my I could be wrong. It certainly doesn't help but, when you've got, you know, the easiest targets 
of televangelists rigging miracles. Yeah, every every time help. every time when you drill down, definitively proved. Every time you again drill down on on these guys who are oh everybody, everybody healing got people is like oh he's got an earpiece. The apologist that, that explains got it. That guy. <laughs> he's got That's an earpiece. But finish your point. Ghosts may exist, man. I n- I never believed in ghosts, demons, any of that. We have close friends who like talk about specific and ongoing encounters, of, you know. And it's like, well, you know, my former self would just be like, would just almost would would talk shit behind your back. Mm-hmm. W- you and I would, right? Yeah. I I don't do that anymore. Well, I like the idea of ghosts. <laughs> because it makes horror movies a lot scarier. And I like being scared. And the moment that you begin just explaining it all away and saying that this does this, this can't happen, then all of a sudden Annabelle's room is not that scary. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and but, that, yeah, I just yeah, and I'm I'm not to that point yet. So, there could be something there. I'm 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 just again, I'm just trying to give my perspective. Can I I, I speaking of your perspective, I do want to get your perspective on the uh on leaving me on the side of the road because some okay. people it's like they only they were they got upset with you. Maybe I told the story wrong. But to, to me, well, I I'll let you speak, but it was like they were angry with you, but I guess it was maybe at that point in the story. But yeah. then you came back. I find it yeah, I, I found it really interesting that people were upset with me. Uh once you hear the whole story. That's a that's an interesting take. <laughs> uh, I think it's just a a, a misunderstanding. Be- but, and, and I, and I didn't like, say anything at the time because you were telling your story and I didn't wanna, it wasn't about my perspective, so. There's a few logistical questions that we did get. Like we were on Philip DeFranco's podcast which should be out by now. Um, we talk about a lot of this stuff by the way. Um, and he asked us about a lot of questions about how we're processing the lost years. Um, so if you wanna listen to his podcast, uh, we got into it over there and got into some stuff that we haven't talked about here and that we probably won't. Yeah, so, I got I got, I, I got a little carried away a few times Yeah, in a way that I try to control myself a little bit more on this you podcast. Felt, yeah, you felt like it wasn't your show so you could. Right, yeah. <laughs> he, he he asked us a clarifying point that like, yeah, you, you, di- you didn't drive all the way home, you drove over the hill, you drove yeah. over the horizon and apparently parked somewhere where then you could walk and dramatically come over the horizon, which you definitely did. Yeah, well, just to give you my perspective on this, so I was I was upset with you for drinking, right? Because I and not we were just, in the band, not because I was an asshole, but because we had basically made like a commitment to each other and to God that we're not going to do that. We're not going to be kids who who party. That's not what we do. We Jesus is our party. We were in the Wax Paper Dogs, and we as a band had made a commitment. Every time we got together to um, rehearse which was at least once a week. It was like such an important, we would we would sit down in a circle and we would pray with each other and we would share struggles we were going through. We would encourage each other and hold each other accountable to not holding up the commitments that we had made and asked our fellow band members to right. hold us to. So it was something that I had put out there, hey, I wanna be a positive example. We wanna invite our friends to these concerts. We're gonna, we're gonna give people an opportunity to like become a Christian and I don't wanna blow that by there being cracks in my armor. Basically, I we thought so I invited it. we had to be different and we had to have a tangible difference in our life and one of those easy tangible differences was we don't get drunk, we don't get drunk on wine, we get drunk on the Holy Spirit. And so, or what was it, vodka? I don't know what you had that night. 
Um, it was some sort of liquor. I did not know. We don't get drunk on some sort of liquor. I do not know. <laughs> we get drunk. <laughs> we, we get drunk on the Holy Spirit. Um, yeah, because of that witness, it, we it, called it. Once I said that I wanted to get drunk, um, they put on Merle Haggard's uh, misery and gin. Yeah, they they got you. They and got Merle. Will get you. But that's a good song. Because you gin. did that, I knew that. That's you, what I was that night. Uh, let's say it was gin. Okay, you had basically compromised your witness, and so you compromised the band's witness and. You know, as your friend who knew that you didn't want to do that ultimately and you felt bad about it, I was like, well, what am I gonna do? I'm going to, and again, as we explained on Phil's podcast, we were, man, we were so dramatic, sensational, like everything was like, it was like we were trying to like make everything that we were doing cinematic. And like, well, like have this like a ceremonial aspect to sure, it. Sure, the big rock and the little rock that we had and the conversations right. we had. The blood oath was a ceremony. I, I, we grew up in a church where, I mean, it was, it was new form Baptist ceremony. Like it was like church camp type ceremony stuff, but it was, it was meaningful. And I think that, it I, was, I it, think it's part of that, but I, I think this is, I, I I think this is also me. This is the way me and you have always been. Yeah, and the way we've conducted our friendship. We were strange. You name places like you. If you find a tree, you got to we'll call it the tree with a capital T. You know, you 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 got to make the fabric of life be even more exciting than it already is. So not cotton, uh, right? Like mylar. <laughs> um, we wore mylar. But I. So here, what I was thinking was, is like, okay, he shouldn't have done this, and I need to communicate. Two things, I need to communicate judgment and forgiveness. Judgment and mercy. Uh, and so uh, I was like, to me the perfect, and I was kinda just pulling this out of my ass as I was doing it, but I was like, all right, I'm gonna kick him out of the car and drive over the hill because at that point he'll be like, damn, my friend just kicked me out of the car yeah, for I drinking, I feel, I feel bad. I feel the weight of my sin. Exactly, and then I was like, but I'm not I'm not an asshole. I'm gonna park the car and walk back to him in this like moment of cinema <laughs> and peek over the horizon and come and join you and not say a word and by coming back over the horizon and meeting you, I'm basically saying, hey man, you screwed up, but I love you, I forgive you, now let's walk together Let's get back to the destination. Let's not do that again. That's what I was thinking, yeah. and and I, you know, I don't. Even though I don't feel exactly the way that I felt at that time, I don't think the same way that I think at that time. Like, I regret many things in life. I don't regret any of that. I don't regret that. Right. Yeah. And um, you know, I don't regret getting mad at you for getting drunk when you were sixteen years old. I don't think that sixteen-year-old should get drunk. Not from a moralistic standpoint, but it's just like, hey, it's probably not a great idea. Yeah. There's consequences to your actions and it doesn't have to be that the consequences that God is then mad at you. You don't have to go there to know that, no, 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 there's immediate tangible consequences to that kind of behavior. You don't have to be a genius to extrapolate and figure out what those things are. The risk of swallowing a penny being one of those. Right. You could choke on a penny and die. Yeah, so. 
you know what? Next time, hey, next time you do something stupid, I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you on the side of the road. Uh, I'll do it. I'll do it tomorrow. You did plenty of stupid stuff, but I never got that dramatic with you, man. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't do that particular thing. I don't. The first, the first drink I had was the girls. For you, it was the girls. Besides the wine that we made for ourselves when we were like fifteen, which we 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 couldn't have gotten drunk off that. That was a question. We couldn't have gotten drunk off that, but we thought we could, and we were. It was just so exciting. We had to do it. And that was justifiable because we weren't perfect kids. That was justifiable because Jesus made water into wine. That's not how we justified it. We were just like, oh, although there are some like Baptists fun. who think it was grape juice, which still makes me laugh to this day. But um, it was the girls for you, man. I like the ladies. We <laughs> we had to uh, we had to have a lot of conversations. At a certain point, I think you just stopped telling me what you were up to. I mean, you got to figure you got to figure things out. You would tell me, and I would then the wheels would start turning, and I'd be like. I think if I'm not upset with him, then that might mean I can do it too with my girlfriend. Not sex. It, I mean, we yeah. weren't even. You're using that term loosely. It. Yeah. I didn't do it. Just a little petting. <laughs> I don't. We called it heavy petting. It was. I mean, but, I didn't. I didn't do it. But if it was, well, I've never heard the term heavy petting outside of like a purity culture. <laughs> it's weird. Like heavy petting. It's like. It's just a weird phrase. You ever seen a no heavy petting sign at a petting zoo? It's like, <laughs> careful. I was not tempted. I did not need a sign. <laughs> oh man, I needed that laugh. No heavy petting. I'm sure that's that's on a poster somewhere. Okay, I I, I mean, did you get through everything you wanted to get I, there's, through? There's 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 one more there's one more question that I feel like we should answer, even though I think that we probably sort of hinted at this. What? Seems a lot of people have asked the question. Um, well, a guy named Cody asked this question because I did write it down. Just about the part of your story. Okay, the question is just about the part of your story where you make it a point several times to talk about how real your relationship was with Jesus just to later claim he isn't real. How could it be both? A lot of people have asked this question like, I don't understand. You said that it was real. It seemed like he was as real as if he physically manifested himself to you. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this answer is not gonna be satisfactory to anyone who believes that they are actually in relationship with God or, or in relationship with Jesus. Um, you're gonna conclude that we just never had a real relationship with Jesus if this is the way that we would characterize it and that that's your, that's your right, I can't really, I honestly can't argue with it. but. I believe that we were uh, a part of a community that was committed to a certain way of seeing the world and we had lots of people in our lives who were reinforcing that viewpoint and that was kind of every single thing. It was just, we bought into a philosophy, right? And part of that religion, part of that way of thinking was that you basically, you're in relationship with God, like you've got, the Holy basically you've got a relationship with Jesus, but it's really the Holy Spirit that's filling you and motivating you and keeping you from doing things. And there were times when I would uh, specifically be singing praise and worship music, which was a big part of the groups that we were in, and I would just feel completely overwhelmed. And I, I wasn't a, we didn't do the whole like getting slain in the spirit. Never got knocked down by anybody, but I had 
deeply emotional reactions during like, you know, different conferences and places where you were just like on fire for God and just, and I actually had physical things happen to me like I would feel like a tingling kind of come down from the top of my head and like get in my ears and like, there's there's like a physical manifestation of what I thought at the time was the spirit filling me. Interestingly, like I can listen to praise and worship music to this day and kind of get myself back into that place. I can listen to Easy Lover by Phil Collins and that other guy and get um, into that place. But so I think a lot of the things that I was- well, I mean just the tingling. I was interpreting as evidences of the Holy Spirit uh, were just evidences of the way humans work, you know, and they were deeply emotional. And and but let, there, but okay, there, there was, I mean, and I know this is true of you too, but like, I was journaling my prayers because I had a hard time actually like focusing on praying. But there was a lot of praying. It was a, it was kind of a one-sided conversation. But when you start to, but it, I, I could sense responses. Oh yes. Or like you you read the, you know, they taught you to, we were taught to read the Bible and study the Bible in a way that like the Holy Spirit would bring things out of it. Like you would gain insight and re relating it to who you were. And I, you would, we would seek guidance on every single major decision and in certain stints of my life, every single minor decision. Yeah. And really get a sense that you were, that we, I was guided to make decisions by God. I mean, we even, we went through workbooks called Experiencing God, How to Determine God's Will for Your Life. All of the, you know, it's like we were trained the, the, the practices in order to um, connect with God and to be, guided by God and but for me making decisions was a huge thing. Mm. Like my journal was filled with um, everything that I talked about and then the second thing it was filled with was me trying to assess if I if if I could marry Christy. If like, if she was the one for me. Like mm -hmm. I obsessed about this and I felt like on on one hand I became convinced that like okay God is blessing this decision. This is a wise decision. This is the right decision. On the other hand, I feel like I'm I missed out on a lot of like experience in like falling in love with my wife <laughs> uh, because I wanted it to be such a I wanted it to be something where God granted me permission and give me a sign or give me the specifics. And I felt like I got that. Um, th those are all aspects of. Mm my active relationship with God. You're the one who made the statement. I didn't make the statement, but it's true of me too. I believe that I did have a real back and forth conversational relationship with God. Mm -hmm. um, I just thought that I wasn't good at it and that all the stuff I was trained to do, I just wasn't motivated enough and yeah. I just, it, it wasn't, it was my shortcomings, not God's that that made me feel distant. Yeah, well, you know, when you're on staff with Campus Crusade, you have, um, uh, you're encouraged to do something called a day with the Lord every month, right? Right. Uh, and this is essentially a day long devotional. You might have your, what we call the, your quiet time or your devotion time every single morning where you get up and you pray and you read the Bible, which I was okay at. <laughs> there were, I had some good runs in there. Right. It's a pretty much a struggle for most Christians. Um, 
But I always loved the day with the Lord. You and did? I, yeah, oh yeah, I, I, I loved it. And uh, what I would do is I would take my Bible and my journal and I would go to uh, some spot in nature and I would just sit there and I would just pray and basically, the funny thing is, is I still do this pretty regularly. I just don't call it a day with the Lord. I just go out into a spot in nature. I don't have the Bible. I've got my journal. I might have a book or something that I'm reading at the time. But it just, I just sort through things, right? And it's just like, now, I, and I talk out loud to myself, uh, whereas I used to just talk out loud to God, but tangibly, practically, the experience is no different. I'm not trying to, you know, I, I, I may, that may sound like sad or crass or whatever, but I'm just saying that, mm -hmm. I'm not trying to be dismissive, I'm just saying, when I think back on what I was interpreting as a two-way relationship with the Lord was, and again, I don't know the nature of the universe and maybe that I was tapping into some sort of spiritual plane that exists that I don't fully grasp and understand and I'm still open to that. I hope so. Yeah, but I tend to think that what was happening, especially especially during those times, is I was just getting away. I was extracting myself from my my day-to-day -day life and all the distractions there and I was just getting some time to just be still. You know, be still and be in a meditative state and kind of just things come to the surface and you kind of work through things. It's like if you go to, a, to the grave site of someone that you love and you talk to them and some people carry on that kind of relationship for a very, very long time. That person never speaks back to them but there are tangible yeah. experiences and there's, they, can, they, they remember what they looked like and they remember, that you know, in the same way that your memories of a loved one are sort of the, it's the raw material by which you have an ongoing conversation with them after they die. I kind of feel like the Bible and church tradition and what you're being taught is the raw material for carrying on a relationship with Jesus that might just be a conversation with yourself. That's my best guess as to what's happening there. Uh, as I always like to say, I could be wrong. You probably are. Right, I'm sure I am in some way. Yeah. Um, hashtag Ear Biscuits. At this point, are we gonna talk about this anymore directly? Um, I don't know. I don't, I predict not. But again, as we've said before, I think that these things will percolate through and as we continue to reminisce. And every single Ear Biscuit or every couple, I mean, we're always pulling from our past and now we're able to talk about it in a way that we haven't been able to. Yeah, so certain and aspects and of that. I, and I, I gotta say, it's. Um, so it will come up. It's it, It's been really, really liberating um, personally. I, I, um, I think about just being able to talk about it on Phil's podcast and you know, there was a lot of shame and also just fear around just being honest about our, our, our pasts and you know be able to just be like this is this is who we were this is who we are yeah. um, I don't know it's just it's a healthier way to live <laughs> you know yeah I've experienced yeah. a lot of um, a lot of peace and we can move forward that's so important I feel like and and I'm glad that in this venue you can come along for the ride that's what's going to happen. I do have, have a wreck. wreck. I have a wreck in effect. Hit us with it. Uh, 
I wanted to do this last week, but it was your wreck, so it's a little bit late, but I just wanted to shout out uh, Dear Hank and John, which is Hank and John Green's podcast, good friends of ours, and uh, John shouted us out. I'm, I'm not just doing this to return the favor, I mean, that's part of this, but John uh, has been listening to the podcast. I'm not saying Hank hasn't, but John specifically said that he had been listening to the our stories and our deconstruction. Uh, and you know, just the way that he described it on their podcast was it just meant a lot to to us. And they're also they're just super thoughtful guys who you know basically as close to us as you can be in terms of well, the two guys that have known each other for most of their lives, probably theirs or like all their lives, uh, who do a business like this and are just trying to be husbands and fathers and live life and figure it out. And they're just incredibly smart thoughtful, funny guys who have a very smart, thoughtful, funny podcast. But it, but they've got this thing where you can only listen to it after you've listened to Ear Biscuits. That's how their podcast works. Right. It's so don't even try yep. to yep. listen to it before you've listened to until you're fully caught up with us, but then go on over there and they'll welcome you <laughs> with open arms. <laughs> All right, we'll speak at you next week. Uh, love you.